I am inspired by leaders who serve people. Welcome to Inspiring Leaders, the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives, and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. Welcome to the Inspiring Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Terry Lepofsky, and today we're talking about commonality. I like watching the daily news, but the problem is every time I watch, I hear story after story sensationalizing cultural differences. It seems like there's a disproportionate emphasis on those things that make us different and create an us-versus-them mentality. Well, our guest today has a different story to tell, a story of similarities, shared values, and commonality. Shema Khan is a scientist and a person of faith, and those are not exclusive things. She has a postgraduate degree in chemistry and in physics from Harvard University. She's a regular columnist for the national newspaper The Globe and Mail, a patent agent for the prestigious law firm Shapiro Cohen, and the author of a great book called of hockey and hijab. Shima is an avid hockey fan and an occasional player, a firm believer in the similarities that we all share. She's encouraging all of us to use our own minds to evaluate our commonalities rather than just buy into the diversity stories that we're hearing on the evening news. Shima Khan, welcome to Inspiring Leaders. Thank you, Terry. It's an honor and a pleasure to join you. Well, you know how I start off. This is the way I do it. I love asking this question. Shima, what leader has inspired you and why? Well, the leader that has inspired me the most is uh, Malala Yousafzai, just for her fearlessness and her courage and her uh, commitment to, to education as a way forward for individuals and in particular for girls. Well, I'm standing up and applauding you right now because I think that that is a really great selection. As a matter of fact, if she does hear that you chose her as your inspiring leader, maybe she'll contact us and we'll have her on a future show. <laughs> well, I'll listen to that one for sure. Seamus, and you and I first met a few years ago. You were preparing a TEDx talk that you did called Write Your Own Story. By the way, I'm going to link to that in the show notes. But at the time, I didn't know that your talk was going to move the audience so much, but you did receive a massive standing ovation at that time, which really just took me by surprise, but maybe in retrospect it shouldn't have, given the nature of what you spoke about. Well, this is what gets me. We're bombarded by these messages that teach us to fear diversity, but you encourage independent thinking, particularly when it comes to the similarities that people have, regardless of where we were born. So why does this resonate so deeply with people that your audiences stand up and start cheering until their hands hurt, especially when you, they start hearing you talk about commonality? I was surprised as well, to tell you the truth, about the audience reaction. But in retrospect, I touched on themes, I think, that really speak to the hearts and minds, pretty much everyone there. That is, you know, for basic human dignity, respect for oneself and respect for others. Perhaps a recognition that sometimes messages are sent out with, you know, with an objective in mind that sometimes isn't, isn't a very honorable objective. It also spoke, I think, to, to the fact that most of us, you know, want to be fair, want to be treated right, and I think want to treat others right. 
like I said, I think this is something that really goes to the heart of every person. Absolutely, it does. Now, there was a story that I heard you reference, and it was a a movie that, if I remember right, it was uh, from Argentina. Right. I think it was called The Official Story or something like that? It was called The Official Story and actually won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Film in 1985. It was called the, uh, quote, Dirty War, unquote, of Argentina, the civil war that took place. It was quite brutal. Right. You know, during which uh, thousands of political dissidents uh, disappeared at the hands of the ruling uh, military government. And the movie's about uh, a middle-class school teacher who teaches history at uh, the high school level. She's never been political, uh, and she teaches the government textbook about Argentinian history, who, who are much more politically active and alert, who, who challenge her. It's the first time she's been challenged. The movie is about her discovery about how this official story that the government has peddled actually turns out to be quite a lie. There's a great personal cost to her for pursuing this. I don't want to give it away. It's a terrific movie. But as I said in my talk, the school teacher, instead of following the official story, she writes her own story. I just found it very moving. And I think an example that I thought, you know what, this is something that I should do too, instead of just following everything given to me, start thinking for myself. I've tried to do that ever since. And I think that came through loud and clear when I heard you speak. I have to say there were a few other things that really stood out to me when I heard you speak. One of the things that got me is your love of hockey. Now, you weren't born in Canada, so <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, I think you were born in India. Is that right? Right. I was born in India, and I, I came over in, in the 60s when I was a toddler. And my parents made me do two things. Uh, they made me do um, take ski lessons. Uh, they bought a pair of skates. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't enjoy the skiing as much as I enjoyed the skating. But more importantly, uh, you know, I used to watch Hockey Night in Canada on CBC every Saturday night. And oh, living yeah. and growing up in Montreal in the 60s, well, early 70s, I should say, you know, this was the heyday of the Canadians. I was cemented to hockey. Uh, you know, there were two events, you know, listeners may remember, was uh, in 71 when the Canadians upset everybody with the rookie goalie named Ken Dryden. And then, of course, in 72, the Summit Series, which just, I think, cemented my love and passion for the game, like so many people across the country. When Paul Henderson put it away oh, for the win. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were all watching in school <laughs> that day. Yeah, and this is something that really got me, is that here I am, I was sitting there listening to you talk, and I'm thinking about the fact that you and I really were born on opposite ends of this planet, and yet you and I have such common interest and probably a lot of background in sitting in front of television sets during the 1970s on Saturday nights, <laughs> cheering on the Montreal Canadiens, probably shaped our lives in a lot of very similar ways. Probably. And I still have my hockey card collection, which was another rite of passage that so many of us went through in grade school. I still have my 1972 Esso Power Player Saver book I with every, <laughs> every sticker in it. There you go. <laughs> and I'll never give it up. Mm -mm. <laughs> and I think that this really uh, underscores a, a very, very important thing. And I love the way you say that we should all just be evaluating things on our own terms rather than just buying into this story that's fed to us because it sells news. It just happens to be something that sells agendas for politicians. Let's use our own minds to really take a look at those people that we're pointing fingers at and 
instead of pointing at those differences, start looking at what makes us similar. I agree. And I think when we do that, we realize, again, we have much, much more in common in terms of basic human values, human dignity, you know, aspirations. You know, my parents came to this country wanting a better future for their kids. And I would say that most people who come here, that is their plan and dream as well, to provide themselves and their children, you know, a roof over their heads, enough to eat and access to education opportunities if you like the Canadian dream, so to speak. And if we remember that and we build towards that and help each other to achieve that, we will build and we will continue to build a model society. I'm thinking through this and I'm wondering, this show being inspiring leaders, we're really speaking to an audience that are currently in leadership positions or aspiring to leadership positions, Mm -hmm. whatever realm they may be in, whether it's business or community or spiritual or otherwise. But as we do that, let's maybe bridge this whole concept of commonality. How can we start to think about how this would apply to somebody who's, let's say, running a medium-sized business out there or leading a team out there? Are there any lessons that we can offer to folks out there? Just the basic concept of thinking for oneself, that's very important for leaders. You know, they've achieved a certain level or they're aspiring to achieve a certain level. And a lot of that, I think, is not just running on autopilot or delegating critical thinking to others. It starts with that person, him or herself, to, to take the time to evaluate, to think for oneself, use one's own logic, intuition as the company moves forward. Because with the bombardment information, uh, Sometimes there's an easy way out, uh, but hard decisions have to be made using a lot of the critical tools that we do have at our disposal. We shouldn't shy away from that. Uh, so I would say individuality of thought and you know, not being afraid of perhaps going against the grain at times, um, I think, is, is very key. You know, it's funny that you say that because I remember the title of your TED Talk was Write Your Own Story. And I'll put those notes up, the link to that in the show notes. I think in order to write your own story, it strikes me that one has to be very cognizant of your own personal values, what's really important to you in your life, and use that as a filter for how it is that you're looking at things. And also just to sort of take the facts into consideration rather than just the opinions into consideration. That's right. That's very important because I think one of the most critical filters that we all have is is our conscience. We need to put that front and center when we are going forward with information. Right. So using your own conscience as your guide. Exactly. As I mentioned too, the values, one really values, one of the more important things that someone values is, you know, let's use an obvious one like integrity or trust. Right. In taking a look at how you're treating other people or evaluating other people, using that as a guide to say, how does this measure up to what I truly value in this world? I've worked in many places and companies and groups of people, and the places that I felt the most comfortable at have been where, it may sound corny, but you know everybody treats everybody with respect. Whether you're the managing partner or you're an administrative assistant or summer student, you know, you just see that core value of respect and integrity throughout. It's something, I think, that really builds a strong foundation. Yeah, and I think that it builds a deep level of trust within 
a community or even a country or, or globally. Very much. Yeah, very much. Mm-hmm. You know, Shima, I think this is a pretty strong message, I have to say. And I think that it's got the power. If it gets out there well enough, I think that this has the uh, power to actually make a big difference in the world. One small step at a time. <laughs> if, if um, I mean, I, I always start with my own family, right? I mean, that's that's sort of the basic unit in the people I deal with every day. And you, know, you try to build that within your family. And then, you you know, you take that outwards, you know, within your, your neighborhood, you know, to the place where you work and, and so on and so forth. So you, you see the same kind of values, you know, throughout whatever, whoever you work with, you know, however you deal with, just to be consistent and to be true to yourself and to your values. Well, you speak to your family about it. You spoke on stage to a few hundred people about it. That went up on YouTube and that reached uh, probably a few thousand people there. Now you're going to speak on inspiring leaders and you're going to hit several more thousand people as far as that message goes. So one little step at a time and we shall change the world, my friend. Right. Okay, now listen, I I got two last questions for you, if you don't mind, Shima. The first one is, what challenges do you see facing many of today's leaders out there, if we haven't already addressed this one? Right. So as I said before, I think, you know, leaders need to to be in tune with their own, you know, their own intuition, their own mind, their own logic, really, again, to think for themselves. I think another area which I see is, you know, we're seeing increased polarization out there. And I think leaders, they're going to be very instrumental in just lowering the temperature, again, really showing people more of the commonalities out there than differences. And also just to educate, look, you know, differences of opinion are natural, but that shouldn't lead us to really despise each other or to see this, you know, really this polarization, especially what we see down south in the U.S., that leadership is going to be very important towards bringing people together. Oh, I agree. But I I think when you do see that around you, there's a couple of things that can happen for leaders, one of which is evaluating for yourself and realizing, seeing an example of something you don't necessarily want to follow. And that example motivates you to go your own direction. And hopefully that sort of thing is happening now. Well, here's my second question for you. Shima, what does inspired leadership mean to you? Well, a couple of things. I'm inspired by leaders who serve people, where you have leadership through service. That's one example of inspired leadership. Another example that I really respect are are those who speak truth to power who are quite fearless. And this is why, for example, I brought up the example of Malala Yousafzai, because I think she embodies both serving so many people through her campaign for education. And really, you know, what she has done and continues to do is to be fearless, because there are places in the world where pediments towards people, especially girls, towards getting education. And it takes a really strong voice and courage to demand that. You know, here in North America, it's a given. and other parts of the world, it's not. I think that's a great answer. Shima, thank you so much for being on this podcast, for sharing some of your ideas. I would say your perspective, which I view as a leadership perspective. If people want to connect with you, Shima, how are they going to find you? I'm on LinkedIn, and they can also uh, write to me if they like my email. My email address is S-H-E-E-M-A underscore con, K-H-A-N, at hotmail.com, or they can write to me via LinkedIn. Okay, I'll put that in the show notes as well. Mm -hmm. I very much appreciate you being on here, sharing your perspectives, sharing this message that you've really got out there and it's resonating so well with so many people. 
this message of commonality and the fact that we are a lot more similar than we are different from each other and not being afraid to go into that space. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast today and sharing your ideas. Well, thank you, Terry, for this opportunity. Thanks again for being part of our quest to make inspired leadership ubiquitous. Wherever you are, we hope that we've helped to inspire you and that you'll pay it forward by inspiring others. And just a reminder to support us on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud with your ratings and comments. That support is hugely appreciated. Until next time, take care, everyone.